Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Audible.com has over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you, the listeners of Popcorn Poops, the opportunity to check out their service. Today, we're recommending the book Peter Pan by J.M. Barry, narrated by Tim Curry. To download this or another free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. My name is Dustin. And my name is Jessica. We are the Popcorn Poops. Here at Popcorn Poops HQ, we produce a movie podcast and commentary track hybrid that may be synced up to whatever film we're talking about or enjoyed as a standalone audio program. Today we will be watching the 1994 film Clerks, directed by Kevin Smith. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the View Askew Productions logo cuts to black. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers. Press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And it's unfortunate that we actually had to skip the View Askew Productions uh, vanity card uh, because it's it's kind of weird and interesting. Yeah, it, it shows is weird. it's like a clown or clown, something. Clown has a name. His name is a vulgar, and they actually uh, View Askew Productions actually made a movie based on the character. Of vulgar, the they, clown. They made a movie. They made a movie about a about a clown that gets gang raped, and oh, I, I, mm. I I think it's a revenge movie, right? I think it's a revenge movie. I don't know. Don't <laughs> he gets he gets gang raped, and he goes on a revenge journey, a revenge quest. Wow. Um, I think I've seen it. It's it's been if I have seen it, it's been so long. I know I've seen like bits and pieces of it, just from people being like, "Hey, have you seen this fucked up movie?" Uh, but speaking of fucked up movies, this is. Clerks, directed by Kevin Smith. <laughs> it's our first. Oh, I hate his apartment. It's uh, it's not actually his apartment. I think later in the movie he says he lives with his mom, so it's, oh. I think it's a house. Um, well, I hate his living conditions. He sleeps in the closet, apparently. Apparently. This is our main character, Dante Hicks, played by Brian O'Halloran, um, who, no, you, you, sh- you should not know from anything because this is basically why he's famous, if you can even call it famous. This is our first indie movie. I didn't movie. realize the title had a period after it. Yeah, stylized that way. I'm not going to list it that way on the web- on our website, though. But, you know, that, hmm. might, that might drive some fanboy crazy. It, it definitely has a period after it. It definitely does. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, this is our first indie movie. This is the first uh, independent film we've ever we've ever done on Popcorn Poops, and um, I I'm a fan of Kevin Smith. I would even say I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith, uh, and I would say that Kevin Smith is probably the reason that I love film the way I love film. Well, today. I think for a while back when we've been together so long that we were together before you even really were into movies. We were still kids, and. Yeah, yeah. Um, what were you into before movies? Art, I guess. Yeah, like kind of like drawing and stuff. And stuff. Yeah, sure. We were we were I like fifteen games. years old, sixteen <laughs> years old. So, um, and then and then I recall you kind of changing and getting into movies, and by the time you got into college, it was just like it was all over, movies all the and time. it was just all movies. And I had a hard time dealing with it actually because 
because you you went from from not really like like that wasn't a part of your personality when we first met and started dating and then all of a sudden it was your entire identity was was film and I kind of had to adjust to that and Kevin Smith and this movie particularly were a lot of the impetus I kind of the impetus for it Um, I was introduced to this movie and therefore all of uh, Kevin Smith's films by a friend Uh, and it was the first time and, and I'm not saying that this is a masterpiece in any way at all. I really like this yeah. movie. Uh, <laughs> it's it's very obviously made on the cheap. It's very obviously someone's first film. Um, but I think what drew me to it is that for the first time in my life, I was able to see the hand of the director mm. okay. in a movie. Uh, and I really felt the craft of a movie because I could see it being done. And I don't mean this as a slight against Kevin Smith or any of the people in this movie, but it was really the first time I had seen it done badly. Mm. Um, and not in like a sci-fi channel original movie bad kind hey, of way. Hey, you be careful. I mean, like you watch it and you're saying, oh, the, the lighting is Treading weird here. Territory. Like it's noticeably worse here or this performance is bad or they just stumbled over their own line. Like you, you don't see that in mm. quote unquote real movies. Right, right. Well, I mean, he even in talking about the ending to this movie I'm not going to pretend like I know a lot about Clerks because I don't. But um, I, I, on the you, other hand, know, you know too much. Right. About so clerks, I yeah. just figured I wasn't. I wasn't gonna ruffle my feathers trying to even match what you know about this movie. But I know at the end, there's the 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 ending that he wound up taking out. Where the cut ending? Yeah, right, we'll where, talk about that. A where little bit. he, uh, it's a really dark ending instead. And I've seen I've seen that before, um, but. I heard him say once that the reason why he had that ending... That's our first ending, chapter card, vilification. Uh, the reason why he had that ending was, that. Because, was because he said he didn't know how to end a movie. So, right. I mean, that's kind of typical of this movie, I think, is that it's it's his process of learning how to make one and realizing he doesn't... And I'm actually going to argue... Have all the in, answers yet. I'm going to argue in favor for that ending when it comes up, like when we get to that. Yeah, I probably like that ending better, um, honestly. I think it makes more sense I didn't sense the first the movie, time I saw it, I'll though. point out why. But that, that chapter card that I pointed out that said vilification, this movie has, uh, I think it's 14 title cards that break up I guess what you could call chapters, but some chapters aren't aren't any longer than just one scene. Mm. Uh, so if you could even call them chapters, but they're lots and lots of you know twenty five cent words. You know? Yeah, <laughs> big long words that a have... couple of which even I had to look up. So right, and you too. Yes. So that's you know um, vilification is of course the act more than twenty five cents. The act of lowering in estimation or importance, or the act of uttering slanderous and abusive statements against some entity of some kind. Um. Vilification, though, you can get from the context of villain. villain. Right, to make so, a villain. To make a villain, yeah. So um, what I want us to do uh, is, throughout this movie, I want us to pay attention to these chapters and make sure that they actually work in the context of what follows. Okay. So this one is vilification. This is vilification. Who are we vilifying? We're, that's what we're going to find out. So in this scene right here, uh, we've got this gentleman with a, a beard, uh, this customer, who has bought a cup of coffee uh and his he's saying he's going to stand here and drink his cup of coffee another co- customer has just walked in and uh he he persuaded the customer not to buy a pack of cigarettes and instead buy a pack of Chulies brand gum and he does this by laying a you know a a, a cancer-ridden lung on the counter which mm-hmm. is actually a, a, a i think it's a 
a calf's liver. What the prop that they used? Yeah, the prop was a calf's liver that was rolled around in dirt and like burned with with cigarettes. How old was Kevin Smith at this point? I think he was like 20. I know the characters of Dante and Randall are supposed to be 22 in this movie. That's way younger than I would have guessed them. So I think I think Kevin Smith is probably about that age. Like he's always said that this was his movie about being in his 20s. And that's Maybe he's a little older though. Maybe certainly younger than I am. <laughs> I'm 28 now. <laughs> These are our I, characters. I Jay do and love Jay Bob. and Silent Bob. I'm I am not a super fan of. There's our director right there, Kevin Smith, playing Silent Bob, the Marcel Marceau, you know, silent figure, I'm who's not, not really all that silent. He does actually talk. I'm not a super fan of Clerks or Kevin Smith in general. Honestly, mm. um, I, I like his stuff. I'm okay with it. This movie, I'm okay with. Uh, there, there are parts of it there that I really like. I like a lot of the dialogue. I think, uh, especially between Randall and Dante, I think some of the stuff is pretty funny. Um, especially when they get really geeky and they talk about Star Wars and it's the references, yeah, right? It's, the I references mean, are funny. The reason you enjoy a movie like this is for the dialogue, right? For the it was for the time really unheard of that you'd have a movie where people just talk about stuff where you just shoot the shit and you know you kind of talk about your feelings a little bit but also like the philosophy of Star Wars or right. whatever yeah. you know uh and that that's that's part of what made this movie important or interesting and it's it's definitely indicative of a place and a time well it's definitely a, like a and especially a, in one person's life i think is it's a really good portrait of not just the character of Dante or Randall, but of Kevin Smith as a man. I'm, and he's even said years years later when he made Clerks too. He said that was kind of a portrait of him in his thirties. And it's weird because I watched this and I don't relate to these characters like I used to. But mm. I watch Clerks too, and I'm starting to relate more with those characters. Oh, really? And it's really interesting how that works. Have I ever seen it? Have you made me watch it? I'm sure you did at some uh, yeah, point. Yeah, probably. I'm sure you. I don't seen remember. It. We'll have to rewatch it. Though. It's good. I don't remember it. What's it about? Uh, they work. Is it at Randall and Dante. Dante and Randall. They work at movies, and uh, and Dante has gotten a girl pregnant. Oh. Uh, his manager. Do I remember? And this? he's engaged to another girl, and he's got to like. Oh, so he's got like the same do. problems. Yeah, two two girls are fighting uh-huh. over him, which you know, Randall Why? actually says something about. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a little... You're asking these questions, but I think Randall actually says that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you always have two girls fighting over you? Uh, I also want you to to pay attention how to how this movie treats women, and I, I, want, I want your opinion on it, because I, I want to see what you think about Kevin Smith's perspective on females at age 22, or however, however old he was mm. when he when he wrote this. So this is uh, our, I guess our female lead, if you can call her that. Uh, The character's name is Veronica and she's played by an actress uh, named Marilyn uh, Gigliotti, I think, or Gigliotti, something like that. It's a, it's an Italian name. I'm, I don't know the pronunciation because I don't speak Italian, but uh she might be the worst actress in this movie. <laughs> she might be the worst thespian in this entire movie. Mm. Uh, I think she trips over the most of her lines more than anyone else. Um, and 
yeah, I don't know. Delivery is weird sometimes, and you can you sense that there was a different delivery in there that Kevin Smith probably wanted, that but she didn't come across. Maybe she didn't read it off the page the right way. I really, I think some of the stuff that turns me off about this movie is I really don't like any of the girls. I don't really care about them. Uh, I don't like Dante particularly. I think he's kind of a slob and I mean he's supposed to be he's supposed to be it's the whole story is he's this unmotivated guy who who thinks he's better than everyone around him because he dreams of being better than everyone around him but he doesn't actually do anything to make that happen which I guess was maybe Kevin Smith's story until he sold what his life like his comic books and his yeah and he, his sold, he sold off i mean car, he, like his car insurance this, and this money got uh or this movie got its budget it's it's funding from a variety of sources uh one of which was he, he maxed out a bunch of credit cards uh and he's talked about this he on on his uh he has these speaking engagement that he yeah i remember you used to he filmed. watch them yeah, a yeah lot. They're, they're really good he's a really good public speaker <laughs> And, uh, you know, because he has like a gajillion podcasts now, too. Right, so yeah. you can go find his Smodcast network and all that stuff. And he's just talking all the time now. Yeah. Uh, but before he was talking all the time, you could just find him talking on these DVDs, these Evening with Kevin Smith DVDs. And on one of them, uh, he was he talked about um, what was I even talking about? I, uh, his How much money it costs. Oh, right, it. right. So he talked about... <laughs> I lost, totally lost my train of thought. Uh, he was talking about how he was working at this quick stop when he made this movie. That's right. I read that too. And the way he would get approved for the credit cards is he would put the store as a reference for the credit card, like a like a character reference, uh-huh. and to to get like a, a really high uh, limit on his credit cards. Uh-huh. So they would call the store, and he would be there, and he would say, "Yes, I'm the owner of the store. Yes, I know Kevin Smith. He's a fine young man and a great worker. And yes, yes, give him the highest, <laughs> give him the highest credit card limit that you can." So he maxed out like something like ten credit cards. And I and he also like sold personal belongings and stuff too. Sold right? a big chunk of his comic and book I read collection. Something about a car that he he and there was a was there was it a Jay big him and Jay wrecked it. They didn't wreck it. There was a big storm in in New Jersey, and uh, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, who plays Jay of Jay and Silent Bob, they were together when the storm was coming, and Jay said, hey, man, you need to move your car because it's at the bottom of a hill and it's going to flood. And Kevin Smith didn't trust Jason Mewes, and he said, no, you're a dumbass. I'm not going to move my car. And then it flooded, and they got an insurance payout for it, and that that went to the movie. Did did the audio there just... Clip? Just clip? Oh yeah, lots and lots of audio oh, clipping. Man. Yeah, no, it's this is a real amateur production, but that's it's part of what gives it its charm, right? It's not. I guess you I guess you so. say that you say it gives it a charm, but I'm not in love with this movie, so I think it does. I, give it, I think it does give it a certain charm, and it's a different kind of charm than you get from like YouTube. But I feel like I watch I watch a lot of bad horror and stuff. Yes, and. And, you know, every now and then they, not every now and then, regularly, usually, they do things that that are similar. You know, the audio clips or, or we were watching this uh, this Japanese uh, J-horror that I picked up the other day blindly. And they had this shot where, like, they just pan across a bridge and, like... You can see like the shadows they, of all the They go crew. through, like, the bridge. Like, she's on one side and she walks under it. And they Using just go through the bridge. Like, it was awful. And... It's stuff that even I can recognize as being really bad, and I didn't study film. So, 
Um, you don't have to study film to know well, that you're not supposed to see the cruise shadow. Yeah, well, that ground. too. That's totally true. But um, but anyways, though, like when we watch that kind of stuff, you just make fun of it like without any mercy whatsoever. Yeah. And not that it doesn't deserve it, but I mean, this movie okay. does that kind of stuff. It though. does. I guess here's the difference for me. Before the age of video, before the age of HD video, and I even said this the other day, we were watching some other horrible uh, horror film shot on HD video. Bad movies look good these days. Bad movies can look really good. So I think that there's that that the the standard, I guess, the standard of quality has just risen across the board. So when you watch a really bad director, right? When DVD everyone's movie, got an, an iPhone, when that... everybody's got an iPhone, when everyone can shoot HD video right. with you know a device that's in their pocket, then of course any kind of movie production is going to have like that base level of of quality. You know, it's going to have HD uh, HD video quality. It's going to probably be in focus. It's probably going to have okay lighting. You know, just in general, I think that. A movie like Clerks and movies that came out around its time and before that were lower budget, they had to be shot on film. And film is a certain has a certain aesthetic to it. It's pulpy, it's visceral, it's you know, in this high you know, it's very high contrast uh, in this black and white film that they're using here. And the reason they use black and white film here is because at least Kevin Smith knew that he didn't have the means to color correct the movie that he was shooting. Mm. So they were using a variety of lighting sources with a variety of, you know, that were creating a variety of color temperatures uh, inside and outside where they were shooting inside the store and inside the RST video across the way and outside the store. Because of that, shooting it in black and white, you get rid of all of those problems. You don't have to worry about color correcting. So that, that's why he did it. It was, was a choice, it was right? Just, it, it wasn't necessarily an artistic choice. It was not a, an artistic choice. It was a, a, an economic choice. Just I like guess. I guess, just like the the whole storyline with the with the shutter, or not storyline, but the the thing story element. Yes, story it's, element it's a plot of point. right where he he comes to work and. The shutter is closed, and and they say like it's got gum or something in it. And they say that somebody jammed gum in the lock, so we can't open the shutter door. Right. right, but the actual reason why the shutter is closed is because he was filming this at night. Right, in and it takes place quick, during the day. Quick stop, quick mark. Quick stop, quick stop. Where he works during the day. Yes. I also read that he didn't sleep. Like it all. Kevin Smith slept this. like maybe one or two hours a night max because for he was, 21 days He straight. was filming this movie at night in the same convenience store mm-hmm. where he was working during the day. So he would work from like six in the morning to like 10 at night. And then he would shoot from like 11 o'clock to like four, three or four in the morning. And then he would get one or two hours of sleep and have to be back at work at six the next day. Wow. For 21 days. And they did See, that that's what I'm days. talking about, about dedication, though. The one thing I do I do love about this movie and about Kevin Smith is Randall is one of the... No, Ran- no I'm not counting the, the character names. They did Jay and Silent Bob oh, as well for, oh, the, okay. for the title cards. But. Um, I, I mean, it's dedication. Like, it's, it's someone... I feel like when you want it so bad that you suffer for it, then you're bound to produce something that... that that is at least significant, even if it's not necessarily great or good, it's at least meaningful. Sure. Because you worked hard for it. You suffered for it. And, and I mean, that comes through in this, I think that he wanted it. He, he was, he was nobody 
but he wanted to be somebody. He's more so than Dante. What Dante doesn't do that Kevin Smith, because the character is based off of Kevin Smith, right? right? So what Dante doesn't do that Kevin Smith did do by making this movie is Dante doesn't try. He doesn't. He lives in this world where he's not going anywhere, and he wants to rise above the the crap that he lives in. Yeah, but. He doesn't do anything to make that happen. No, he doesn't. And and they talk about that later. They talk about how uh, he needs to, in Randall's words, shit or get off the pot. Right. He needs to do something about his life, which is something that I think is uh, very common for people in their early 20s, for for Americans in their their early 20s. Um, And sometimes up and through through their late 20s. In fact, he's kind of dealing with a similar problem in Clerks 2 when he's in his 30s. And I think it still rings true there. But the core issue, and this is this is something that people have talked about at length, the core issue or the core theme of this movie is really existentialism. It's about giving your life purpose. Right. Dante has a problem giving his life purpose. Randall is happy in his position. He, you know, they have this whole uh, they have this whole blowout later in the movie, and after the blowout, uh, they maybe it's before the blowout, but they sit down and they talk about, you know, how they're feeling about their lives. Randall knows that Dante is unhappy, but Randall's perfectly happy doing the same thing that Dante's doing because he's found purpose in his life for for this time in this place. Dante's not there. And that's really an ultimately existential, mm. you know. And I mean, and I totally issue. I I think it's just, uh, I'm it's something I've seen so much as I've as I've grown up as I've lived through my twenties and am now unfortunately coming to the end of our twenties. But but like I've seen this same thing happen with with so many friends, and I see it happening with me where you do make this choice about whether or not you're living for. Whether or not you're happy with just doing what you're doing, um, and I see people who who aren't doing that much, but they're happy with we it. We have our second uh, chapter card. It said syntax. Let me we define. Didn't, we didn't talk about the first chapter. We'll card, go back. Though. It's okay. Um, so syntax is the way in which linguistic elements as words are put together to form constituents as phrases or clauses, or the part of grammar dealing with these things. Uh, or it is a connected or orderly system, the harmonious arrangement of arrangements of parts. Or elements. The now, way the way I always understood syntax in in a much simpler form than how you said it is basically it's like the rules uh, uh, that that define a language. The how the words are put together <laughs> to make linguists linguists use syntax to define language basically if sure. if if you're defining it by rules. So so let's go back to the last chapter vilification. Who was vilified? Do you think? Who was vilified? Uh, cigarette smokers. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess so. Cigarette if smoker. we're talking like, like yeah, I guess literally, so. who was vilified? Who Cigarette was made smokers to be a, were vilified, or or no, 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 no. Dante, Dante I was about Dante to say, was vilified because he was the one selling the cigarettes. Dante to the cigarette was smokers. branded as a merchant of death, and then they pelted him right. with with cigarettes. Um, in that first chapter, he also says his first kind of it's kind of an existential mantra, I guess, for mm. the movie. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Which is a very kind of mm. the concept of supposing, you know, having to be somewhere you're supposed to be somewhere at a particular time, or you're not supposed to be somewhere at a particular time or place, is a ridiculous concept to an existentialist right, I was, who yeah. sees the universe as what, yeah, what are you supposed to be doing? You're not supposed to be doing anything. There's no such thing as fate or right to an existentialist. 
the universe is absurd. It's it's chaos. Uh, yeah. The only order. There's no supposed to or not supposed to. Exactly. The only order in the universe is that which a human mind gives it, right? Like time. The concept of time is, you know, something that we use to break up the the cold and not not even calculated the cold randomness uh, of of the chaotic existential universe, right? So. In this scene right here, he also says something interesting about giving his life purpose. Uh, and he says, uh, actually, this is the line right here. I think the arguments Veronica and I are having are some kind of manifestation of a subconscious desire to break up with her so I can have a more, this is key, meaningful relationship with Caitlin. Mm. Meaningful. So in some way, Dante is pursuing meaning within his life. He's he's at least thinking about it. It's something that's on his mind. Is trying to find me. I think I think part of the reason why I don't like Dante and why I generally don't like the feeling of this movie is that um, the relationship is meaningful to Veronica. It means something to her. It does, and I think she actually is in love with him. Oh yeah. It's, well, and ultimately he he learns that he's in love with her, but the way he does is really strange, and I don't. I don't. I I right. You're referring to what. Uh, uh, Silent, Silent Bob, Bob says, says to, to him. him, "Yeah, and 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 I think if someone has to tell you something straightforward like that, then it's not a real revelation. It's just a ah, this sounds good in this moment. This person <laughs> told me this, and that sounds like that sounds right. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I I really think both Caitlin and Veronica need to. What the hell are they doing? Like." Just leave this guy alone. He's gonna work in a convenience store for the rest Such of his life. Slub. Why would a girl who's finishing college, Caitlin, we just learned is his ex girlfriend from high school, yeah. right? Yes. She's finishing college and she's been calling him and talking to him, right? Yeah. Late at night, like two thirty in the morning or something. Randall said that his that Dante's phone was busy uh, until like I guess two thirty in the morning for mm. like for like half an hour or something like that because he was talking to Caitlin. Okay, so so this girl who's finishing college, why? Why? I mean, maybe she's calling him. She just wants somebody to talk to. I don't think it's weird to reconnect with people from your past, mm. but but like seriously, what is what is a girl who's finishing college? What does she want to do with a guy like this? I don't I don't get that. That's not realistic to me. I mean, to be friends or something, that's cool. But he's thinking that they're going to have a relationship, that that they're they're going to have a meaningful relationship. And also the the idea at the end where she's going to go into the bathroom to have sex with him. I don't know. I, <sighs> I, 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 I get what you're getting at. I think that Dante has a great character arc, but I don't think he's a sympathetic character. I think it's hard for the audience to relate to him. Uh, not because of how he thinks, but of just how kind of whiny he is. Well, it's in also general. kind of, it, and I guess because of that, it's and hard for me and to he's believe. He's also like playing two girls against one another, and right. Kind of plot. I mean, these are human beings, right? They're human beings with thoughts and feelings just like him, and he's kind of leveraging, in a way, one against the other. Like this, it's not working out over here. So once he has an escape route and he can jump to the next girl, then the other one's just going to be kicked to the curb, and that's you know, right. There are feelings yeah. involved here, emotions. And and I I guess part of it, because he's not a sympathetic character for me, um, I don't understand why either of these girls would want to be with him. I don't I don't get it. 
especially a girl who's finishing college, who doesn't, who's not in a relationship with him right now. I can get being with someone and them maybe meeting them in this stage in their life and being with them through that stage and hoping that we'll, you know, you'll overcome it together as a couple. But a girl who was with this guy when he was in high school and then goes to college and is doing something with her life and looks back and, and sees him, why... I mean, sure. Okay, if she just wants to have casual sex or something, that's fine. But that's not what she says. She, right. She comes to him and she she says that she wants to make sure that he's okay after reading that that wedding announcement or the, the engagement announcement in the in the newspaper where they refer to her fiance as an Asian design major, as though his huh. race has anything to do. Like when I rewatched <laughs> this. What? I thought that was really strange. And I was like, okay, maybe he's majoring in Asian design. Right, right, right. Uh, but then later she says his name is Sang. So he's... So he's Asian. Asian, right. So the engagement announcement says, Said Caitlin Bree to wed Asian design major. <laughs> what kind of engagement announcement is that? What kind of world do we live in where you state someone's race when you talk about who you're marrying? <laughs> where you state their race before like before their, their dreams college, and goals college and things like major? that. Major? Yeah. Like that's that's weird. It's, it's so strange. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Oh, maybe it was done for quirky reasons. So we're not really paying attention to the movie right now because we're talking over it. So I don't it's going to be hard to kind of pin down exactly uh, where the, the syntax uh, theme, I guess, or the, the chapter marker fits into this. Um, but well, I guess it, it, it would have to have something to do with rules or structure. Something like that. Like, I, I mean, it's a very it, it, syntax. When I think of syntax, I think of grammar. Like, that's where where my brain goes is just grammar, just grammar rules. And. And so I'm I, I don't know. I don't know what what this what something that's not talking about literature or write the writing process or something like that could be saying about syntax unless it was just talking about rules or structure. I'm, I'm going to throw this out here. I'm going to throw this out there. Could it be pretentious? <laughs> <laughs> Likely just that. It I'm going to guess. It could just be pretentious where a writer says, I'm going to name this chapter syntax because I'm using syntax <laughs> to write it. <laughs> Maybe. There's another word he's going to use later, uh, paradigm. Yeah. And paradigm, of course, it has a lot of meanings, but there's also a linguistic meaning to it. And 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 in the field of linguistics, the, the term is used for a specific different reason than than I guess what he's going for. But But it's just weird to me that he has two words that are like linguistics 101 vocabulary and... I don't know. It's, but I don't see any of that in this film. Like I don't, no. I don't understand why he uses them. So this is a somewhat famous uh, conversation uh, that they're having that Dante. Ah, uh, yeah, are I love this conversation about whether or not the construction workers working on the second Death Star in the Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. uh, were victims, were innocent victims in a war that they had nothing to do with. Because the Empire couldn't, and this is, you know, this is just conjecture, but the Empire could not have possibly had enough resources uh, to do the construction job on their own. So they had to hire independent contractors, therefore bringing in 
innocent people onto this battle station that was then attacked by the rebels right. and destroyed. Right, and then the rebels, when they destroyed the murdered battle station, they murdered a the, bunch of people. the independent contractors who were working on the Death Star. So this is a slightly more cerebral uh, version of conversations that I've had. Yeah, of course. About, that any any geek's going to sit there and... It's just... I mean, it feels written, of course. It's a, it's just one step up from, like, who would win in a fight, Luke Skywalker or a Beholder from yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, probably the Beholder. Probably the Beholder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this in this conversation, we've got the, the independent contractor who just so happens to be uh, in the store... And he walks over and he says, well, I'm an independent contractor. And I'll tell you that, you know, personal politics really come into play when you're choosing jobs. You know, there's this gangster up the road and he needed his, his you know, shingles redone. He needed to be re-roofed. And I knew the danger involved because he was a gangster. So I passed it on to my friend and my friend went over there. And then there was a hit on the house and my friend got shot and got killed because he was working on the house. So I don't know. It's, so so he's arguing that he's the, arguing, the contractors knew what they were getting into right, that, when they worked on the Death Star. Right. That they all have that choice to make. Right. So 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 maybe it still is murder, but you know, it they they knew what they were getting into. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't discount the the choices that they made. Yeah. All right. We have another chapter marker here. Vagary. Vagary. So vagary is an erratic or unpredictable or extravagant manifestation, action, or notion. So it's anything that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, something unexpected. Something unexpected, something crazy. I was when I first heard it, I was I was thinking in terms of the word vague. Um, oh yeah. So I guess the connection in my brain there was was somehow like an unexpected thing, like something without 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 meaning. Oh okay okay I maybe. see maybe. Or something that's uh, esoteric mm. or something like that. I guess that could tie into the... Obtuse. I guess the word vagary could tie into the existentialist stuff. Yeah, uh, I guess so. I don't think syntax really ever worked for me, I though. don't. I don't get it. I just don't... Like, I've been trying to... Maybe... I, and if I was very quiet and I sat here and I, and I watched that segment quietly and really thought about it, maybe I could find some reason, but... Like paradigm, when we get to the word paradigm, I can understand how that could be used in in more thematic ways or something and, and get away from the linguistic term that it that it is in other circumstances. But but syntax is I don't and maybe it's just because of where I hear the word syntax, but I don't ever hear it used in common dialogue unless we're talking about literature yeah. or writing. Yeah. I mean, I, I know it can be used as a word for, like, the order of something or the the rules of something, the principles used to define something, but I don't know. It's so specific to me, and I don't understand how it tied into that scene. I'm going to ask you, who do you think is the best actor in the movie? The best actor? Yes, because there aren't... Mm. any great actors in the movie i don't know i don't know who's the best i like randall a lot he makes me laugh i was gonna say rand i think randall i think he's a he's a character around. to me that i yeah. believe yeah i believe i've met people like him and when he talks even though he has like this kind of oh, this is this is kevin smith's sister right here this kind of gilmore girls like mouth vomit going on every time he talks like just unending continuous flow of 
yeah. of words. Even though he does that, I don't feel the writing quite as much when he does it. Yeah, he, he his delivery is always pretty on mm. point. Yeah, I think I think he does a really good job with this. Uh, Kevin Smith, of course, a, a cast a bunch of his friends and family in this. The this shell shocked guy <laughs> that that she refers to him as the guy playing with the eggs on the on the ground trying to find the perfect dozen. No mixing and matching. You know, it's it's an, a you know a compulsion, obsessive compulsion. Um, is this the guy that this is? is that plays a bunch of characters. He pl- he's credited as four characters. Uh, his name is Walter Flanagan. Uh, he actually has his own podcast on the Smodcast Network called uh, Tell Him Steve Dave. I think that's yeah, that's it. Steve, Tell Him Steve Dave. He's on there with another one of the Viewisk Universe. Can't believe I just said that. Viewisk Universe uh, regulars uh, named uh, Brian Johnson uh, and uh, another guy's on there. Another couple of other guys are on there. Um, we have another chapter marker. Purgation. That was basically just one scene. Purgation. So, so wait, that one was vagary. Vagary. So what was? I I unexpected guess or... maybe it was Randall lashing out at the customer that he was ignoring. I I'm not sure, or maybe it's just actions and gen- unexpected actions, or it's commenting mm. on the randomness of. I don't know. Okay. Let's go on. But this th- is purgation. This is purgation. Which in uh, again the root word that I was thinking of was like purgatory, purgatory yeah, or like pur- purge. purge. Right. Actually, you're right about that. The, the act or result of purging. So purgation. Purgation is the act of doing the purging or the purgation is what has come from purging something. Purging being the act of, uh, some, I guess, violently ejecting unwanted things from something. Mm. Um, and that can be concrete or abstract okay i like the abstract idea better because <laughs> when i think of a country and here's the concrete. here's here's walter flanagan again playing a different oh that's the egg guy a different character yes what did kevin smith refer to him as i think you looked this up uh i don't remember it was some some the some lon guy cheney lon, of the 90s yes yeah. I, I have no idea who lon that cheney is. of course being a golden age actor who was famous for putting on a lot of makeup and playing a bunch of different roles that shot right there that we just missed uh i think in the age of video and in the you know when this movie came out that shot right there would have gotten this movie in nc-17 on what, its own what was it he showed a, a porno mag to the guy at the counter and it's just like a like spread eagle vagina oh really yeah with like a hand like hovering around it <laughs> but i think that years ago this actually got an nc-17 Rating. This was NC-17. For dialogue alone. Just for dialogue? I don't even recall this movie being that vulgar. Well, I mean, it is. It's really vulgar. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yes, of course it is. Maybe, they talk about my... snowballing and all sorts of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. That whole conversation about the jizz mopper. Okay, yeah. This milkmaid, milkmaid lady is uh, Kevin Smith's mom, Grace. <laughs> I'm sure she was I like her windbreaker. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this this movie uh, initially got an NC-17 rating, uh, and then Miramax hired Alan Dershowitz, who was one of the well, was part of the defense team for the O.J. Simpson case, and he petitioned the MPAA for an R without any cuts whatsoever. Now, if this came out today, I think the shot of him showing the customer that magazine alone, because we live in the age of HD and remastered mm. video and all that kind of yeah. stuff, 
on this Blu-ray that we're watching right now, you can see everything. Yeah. Like the detail of what he's showing in the magazine, which by itself should be enough to get an NC-17. That's stupid. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think you're right. I think it would get an NC-17. Man, no, the cigarettes are so cheap. A dollar sixty-five. Dollar ninety-five. Dollar sixty-five. Oh my god! All around two bucks between the buck and a half and two bucks. Wow! Very cheap. What are they these days? Like I don't, five I don't bucks, know in the states. I don't know what they run in the states like here. That. They're like five bucks. Yeah. So yeah, uh, what do you think is going to be purged in this chapter? Because if we're talking maybe about maybe the lasagna after he eats it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's got that's got to be what it is. But um, oh, in this scene right here, she actually says something when she leaves. It's a little goof. She says that I'll see you after you close or something like that. Mm. But at this point in the story, he doesn't know that he's going to be here until he closes. It's the next moment uh, where he goes over and, and calls his boss. And so finds a continuity error in his writing. To, yeah, to to Vermont, but yeah, not not a huge deal. But um, yeah. Pur- purgation and purging. Uh, in this chapter, and this chapter isn't very long at all, actually. Uh, in fact, I think after this scene, that's it. So what has happened in this chapter that he is, that has purged anything? I, I don't know what he's purged in this chapter, but I just realized she's in college too? Yes. What are these girls doing? I don't, I, okay, I'm serious here. When I was in college, I'm, I'm trying to think of any girls that I knew that were dating guys that were not in, also in college. the next chapter marker, malaise. I can't think of any of, uh, maybe it was just the people I hung around with, I don't know, but I can't think of any friends, that, unless it was like freshman year and maybe they had a younger boyfriend and he was still in high school or something, but like. Especially if they're like in their if 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 his if his ex girlfriend is in her senior year, I I just I don't know it just confuses me I don't get it and it it really I really have to suspend my disbelief. Love is a weird thing. I agree. Love is a weird thing. I agree. I just he is particularly a loser. Like <laughs> I mean. <laughs> And he's not particularly nice to her. Well, I guess he was painting her nails. That was sweet. Let's talk about purgation and how it has nothing to do with the chapter that we saw. <laughs> I, I think, think as we go, this is going to be a running theme. Is that, that it doesn't actually have anything to do with exactly. the chapter. The running theme of this movie is that it doesn't actually have any themes that it, like it's saying it does. <laughs> like, well, it has, the, it has giving, themes, it oh, it does, has but themes it doesn't have the themes that, that it gives, that you. It, gives yeah. you. It delivers yeah. you themes. It says, the theme of this chapter is purgation. Watch as something is purged. Oh, wait, nothing is purged? There's no purging? No, Nothing going on here? Okay. Next chapter, malaise. The next chapter, malaise, this is the chapter we're in. Definition of malaise being an, an indefinite feeling of debility or lack of health, often indicative of or accompanying the onset of an illness or a vague sense of mental or moral ill-being. I think this This one I fits. can work, yeah. It's, I mean, without even knowing what this scene is exactly, I can assume that, that this one will work. I mean, just in general, it fits Dante's plight. Malaise is also like discomfort and stuff, right? Uh, yeah. Uneasiness. Sure. Uh, um, yeah, I, I guess so. So, so I mean that all of that works. But uh, he I guess. Did... But but it it vaguely works for the whole movie though. 
not just specifically this segment. He uh, he did deliver his second, I'm not even supposed to be here today. Mm. I think he says it four or five times throughout the movie. But <clears throat> Why do they put tape around the hockey sticks? That's a, I don't know. I don't play hockey. I'm not sure. It probably has something to do with gripping Grip. the puck or something, mm. maybe. Uh, but Dante has decided that the hockey game he was supposed to go to at 2 o'clock uh, will now be held at the store since his boss has flown off to Vermont just unexpectedly. Hmm. Uh, so he's going to shut down the store. They're going to play hockey on the roof. And now all of his friends are here. Now, this this guy right here, the guy with the long hair on the left, um, I don't know the actor's name. I don't know the character's name. But uh, he says something interesting to uh, to Dante about his uh, state of mind, I guess. Um, and he says, what is it? He says he's living in denial and suppressing rage. What? Who is Dante? Dante. Living in denial and suppressing rage. Living in denial and suppressing rage. Okay. So I guess we can accept that as part of Dante's psyche. I I mean, I guess so. Because he does he does blow up a few times in the movie. He does he he blows up at Randall at the end when Randall spills the beans. Well, and to I Caitlin mean he, about... he just had a couple scenes ago he had a screaming match with Veronica about her sucking dick. <laughs> So, 37 dicks, to be exact. How many? 37. Okay, that is a lot of dicks. That's a lot suck. of dicks. It is, it is a lot of dicks to suck. And and also, like, you know, not to tell your partner about that you've sucked 37 dicks. How many dicks have you sucked? Uh, uh, I mean, but that 36. conversation was very real to me. Like I said, the things I like about this movie are generally... The dialogue, which luckily that's most of the movie, is just them standing around Again, talking. That's so. why you watch Clerks is for the right. dialogue, and like it's most of the movie. So, so most of the time, I like this movie. So generally, I like this movie, but I'm not. I mean, if you think too hard about how he's treating the girls, and I think the arcs that the girls get in particular, I don't think that I don't think everything comes out real fair and square. Mm. Um. But then at the same time, the original ending of the movie kind of fixes a lot of that stuff because it really puts this kind of really crazy, chaotic, existentialist period on the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, this should be a dark movie. It should be. I mean, with the things that they talk, yeah, with the things that they talk about and the kind of um, uh, psychology that they're hinting at, like, I can see it. I mean, it's fine that it's a comedy, but there should be a an underlying darkness here because you're talking about a man who doesn't know what he, he doesn't know his place in the universe. Right. And that's just, that can and be a scary place to be. And isn't doing anything about it. Right. And he's surrounded by people who think that, who, who know what they want in life, who are happy with their positions, well, who think that they know where Dante should be. And Dante is just trying to figure out who he wants to, you know, spend, I guess the next couple of years with in a relationship. Or even a shorter time than that. Like he doesn't, he he feels like uh, beholden to this job that he has decided to take this do nothing, go nowhere job at a convenience store. Yeah, and he feels so beholden to it that when his boss calls and and tells him to to come in and open the store, he buckles and he does it. And then when his boss flies off to Vermont, he stays at the store. Yeah, he doesn't close up and say no. I agreed to stay here till this time. Store's closing. That's it. It's not my responsibility. Yeah, uh, he. 
he takes he takes responsibility for other people's problems before his own. Well, in that in 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 the ending uh, argument, the ending blowout with him and and Randall, like that's what Randall throws in his face too, right? Like he's like you you closed the store, you closed yeah. the store, you said you were going to come in today. Here's another uh, title card: Harbinger. Harbinger, which is like Harold. Yeah, one that pioneers or initiates a major change or one that uh, presages or foreshadows what is to come. Yeah, I always think of like a harbinger of of ill omens or something. That's right. It's a very fantasy word, word to death. me. Yeah, something like that. Um, but again, harbinger. Um, <clears throat> it's all words are fantasy words to me. <laughs> oh, I said that Randall, I think, is the best performer in the movie. But I I think that... Oh, you uh, agreed with me? I, 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 I do agree with you, but I think that an honorable mention should go to this old guy. I think this old guy this is... Old, this old guy? This old guy <laughs> is... As this old guy. He's the guy that dies in the bathroom and has a boner. Oh, yes. That, that Caitlin has sex with. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, he's tremendous. <laughs> he keeps coming back up to the counter. Uh, I mean, I think that... Had this been a bigger budget movie with like, I hate saying this, with quote unquote real actors, uh, this guy would have been played by like Rodney Dangerfield mm, okay. or like Don Rickles or somebody okay. like that, you know. But I think this guy does a does a perfectly acceptable job. He's he's funny. This scene is funny. He does a good job. He's better than yeah. all of the other extras in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Did you look up anything about him? Do you know no, about I don't about know him any, as an actor? I don't know anything. No, I don't know anything about him. Like if he was just one of one of Kevin Smith's friends, or if he actually I, sh- I should have looked it up. But he he may very well be like a community theater actor hmm. there. That's where uh, Brian O'Halloran and Dante came from. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a he was okay. a community theater actor. That uh, Kevin Smith, uh, Kevin Smith actually. I mean, that's where I'd go to if I was if I was making a movie on on my own money. Yeah. I'd go to the community theaters and hope I could find some people who could, who could, uh, uh, change their acting style to work for film. Well, the 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 casting was all mixed up before. Like before Kevin Smith shot the movie, he had all these parts cast mm-hmm. with different people. Uh, <clears throat> he had Dante cast uh, by with an actor who plays the the workout buff that comes in later. The guy named Rick Darris who comments on Dante like not being able to pick up the gallon of milk without grunting. Mm. So he comes in later. That was originally supposed to be Dante. Uh, And Randall was supposed to be played by Kevin Smith himself. Really? Which is why Randall has all the best lines, right? (laughs) He gets all the good jokes because Kevin Smith wrote it for himself. And then he was like, wait a second, I can't can't direct this stupid thing and act in it. So he Mm. got someone to do it better than he would. Do you think Kevin Smith is a good actor? Good? A good actor? Yeah. I know you think he's a good director, but do you think he's a good I, I don't actor? Even, I don't even think he's a good director. I think he's a I think well, he's a I think he's a pretty good director and I think he's a good writer. I, I like his writing. Okay. Um he's a serviceable director for what he does, I guess. Um, but as an actor, I I don't know. I guess he's fine. 
I mean, it's not like he does a lot of acting in the movies. He plays the guy who doesn't talk. He does a good job smoking his cigarette and staring off into the distance. Well, the things the things that I want to go to, like as for him as an actor, I, I want to look at things outside of his own movies because I feel that that's really what, the litmus what, test. What has he done? Um, he he played a little bit part in Die Hard Four, Live Free really? or Die Hard. Yeah, he played a a, a character named the Wizard, I think, okay. or the Warlock. It was the Warlock. Wait, why do I feel like I know this? And he uh, he has this Maybe he's a hacker that has like this layer in his basement and all of these monitors around him and you know big action figures from from monster movies and stuff. So like he that just surrounded. played a geek. Yeah, basically, and he he does a fine job. Like he's he's pretty funny. His dialogue is very obviously Kevin Smith dialogue. Like he obviously wrote rewrote his part for himself. Mm. Um, he was also in a Richard Kelly film uh, called Southland Tales, which is kind of a kind of a mess of a movie but he's he's in it as a as a vietnam vet in like a wheelchair in heavy heavy makeup with like a beard and he's like this old mm. man and he does he does an all right job in that this 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 scene right here where the camera is darting back and forth to the two of them kind of makes me dizzy oh does it really yeah i don't like it oh that's interesting there's a uh it feels very it's like it's it's one of those moments where i i know that there's a camera yeah i guess i mean i'm not really dizzy i'm the, exaggerating but but like i i know there's a camera and i don't like that that so that line right there balls resting on his lips the reason there was a <laughs> <clears throat> it's got to be a first for everything on popcorn poops uh. Maybe the first and last time I'll ever say balls resting on his lips. <laughs> well, you just managed to say but it twice. That, that line, the reason there's a big pause there is because Jeff Anderson, the guy who plays uh, uh, Randall, almost forgot the line. He almost didn't deliver it. Mm. But then he delivers it like a beat or two too late, and it feels like he's contemplating like the event, <laughs> and it's like this this moment of sympathy for his cousin where he's just sitting there shaking his head like, Balls resting on his lips. <laughs> it's, it's cute. Yeah, it is. It, it actually ends up being a good delivery. I mean, it's balls cute. resting on lips is not cute, but <laughs> but the delivery's cute. Um, so one thing that I did want to mention about this particular chapter is that it is called Harbinger. Uh, you know, as in the heralding of something like that a is zombie to movie. come. Yeah, it kind of does. As in the heralding of something that is to come. And in this moment here we're seeing that they're, they're going, going to, to the a funeral, funeral home to the wake to the wake of uh, a girl that dante used to date now being that you know the chapter is called harbinger you can clearly see or you can clearly uh, surmise that it is heralding a death of some kind now Later in the movie, of course, the old man dies in the bathroom. But that ends up being kind of inconsequential. We've got another chapter marker here, perspicacity. Yeah, I didn't, don't, nothing. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a second. But I think that it also does play into the original ending. And I don't think we've set it out right yet. But the original ending of Clerks, uh, after uh, Randall leaves and throws the big, you know, uh, shoe polish made sign. I assure you, I, yes, I assure you, we're open. Throws it back inside and says you're closed. There's another scene after that where a faceless the original ending. the original ending where a faceless man walks into the quick stop and shoots Dante dead. Right. So, so in that case, it would be you know the herald of death. It would be like like how I was 
Exactly. I was surmising before. And not only that, but Dante uh, in a couple a couple of scenes ago when they were talking about the the Star Wars thing, the Return of the Jedi, uh, second Death Star, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the conversation started when Randall asked Dante what his favorite was between Empire and, and Return of the Jedi, and Dante says Empire because it had the best ending. It was such a downer, and that's all life is, is a series of down endings. <laughs> that's how he sees yeah, life, yeah. and I think that makes the it's most fitting sense. for for his life exactly. to end in a very down way after I don't a believe, down day. I, I think Kevin Smith said that he didn't know how to end his movie because that's how you bow out from like a a, a decision like that. Right, to and ma- that, to you know, that at the time, the people who were criticizing him were way more well-respected and well-known than he was. And, exactly. And so, of he course, was, he's going to be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll end it the way you think. He was impressionable. Exactly. He was um, impressionable at that stage. And and not that I think there's anything wrong with that. It's Humility is a very important thing. And and knowing that you don't know everything about what you're doing, even if, even if it's your passion and it's the thing you hope that you're best at, knowing that you don't know everything about it is important because you probably definitely don't. And and for him to see people who know more than he does at that point, at least in theory, mm. um, tell him that he, he should end his movie differently, and for him to say, "Okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that." I I mean, I would probably make a similar decision. But I said that to say that Kevin, even though Kevin Smith says that he didn't know how to end his movie, I think, I think he, he knew did. exactly how to end. His I think movie he did because yeah. he foreshadows it. He right. foreshadows that ending. If you don't know how to end your movie and then you just you slap an ending on it, it. exactly, you don't foreshadow it, you don't plan for it, but he did. It's clear that he planned for that ending. It's right. in the subtext of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. He planned for it. Um, and that's why I think it, I think that's why, at least artistically, that ending belongs on the movie. Yeah. That's my argument well, for that also, ending. Also, if we're, if we're assuming that all this existential stuff, if we're assuming that these title cards aren't just pretentious... That they actually, they I think probably, probably are. 50-50. 50-50. Um, but if we're assuming that they actually do have some sincere grounded meaning in in the themes of the film, then then we have to assume that this film is existentialist in nature and that there was some, it, even, if, even if all of it wasn't fully realized, but unintentional in some ways or intentional in other ways, like the, the, the notion of meaninglessness and... Of, of a guy kind of drifting through life and and having a death that is just as random and as insignificant and as senseless. his life has been. Yeah, exactly. It makes sense to we're me. We're in another chapter and we haven't even talked about the one that we were in. Oh, say, well, say what the definition it was is. Perspicacity, I it, up, I forgot. it was perspicacity and the meaning of perspicacity is keen mental vision or discernment. Ah, shrewdness. Right. So I think that that's describing Randall, obviously, and Randall's little rant about title not dictating behavior and how Randall does whatever the hell he wants to do, despite the fact that he has the responsibilities of someone in his position. Mm. And he argues for Dante to act the same way because he feels like it would be good for, you know, Dante's head, basically, to um, not worry so much about doing what he does, you know, living up to the res- the, the, the oh-so-heavy responsibilities of, of working, working at, at a convenience, convenience store. Right, exactly. Right. Uh, so this is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ernie, Ernie something. Oh, I can't remember the actor's name. Ernie something. Uh, but he plays Rick Darris, this guy here in the sweat box <laughs> sweatshirt that he's wearing. 
He was supposed to play Dante. Mm, I don't necessarily. I mean, from this short scene, I maybe it's just because Dante is Dante to me. Whether or not I like him, he is Dante, and he is this actor. But but I don't feel like this character would have done it any better. I don't think. Well, I definitely don't think he would have done it any better. And that's that's the thing about this movie is that as amateurish as it is. When you think about all of the things that Kevin Smith has, I mean, Kevin Smith is very open about basically everything. He's talked about every facet of his life and his filmmaking and all of the movies that he's made and all of the process Mm -hmm. that that went into it and all that kind of stuff. And when you think about all the stuff he said about how this movie could have been made with all of the actors in different roles and people playing different things, it could have been so, so bad. Yeah, it absolutely could have. Uh, I mean, just but and I not think done he's, anything, he's, just disappeared. He innately has some talent, so, you right. know. Right, he, he, I mean, he, he's got an innate eye for uh, no, yeah. casting. And for writing, too. Yeah, I think he's got an innate writing talent. I think he's got an innate uh, talent for casting and, and performance. Um, he has a very distinct voice and, and, exactly. and, and a very distinct look, too, to his films. And when he talks about writing, he says that when he has characters write, he has the delivery in his head. And... What his job is to do as a director is to make sure that the actors that he casts are, number one, capable of delivering the delivery that he had in his head when he wrote it, or a delivery that's better than that. Mm. That makes sense. And if it's better than the one he had in his head, then he, he accepts it, and he knows when that's the case. But he doesn't direct actors based on, like emotionality or giving like sense memory or any of those those kind of techniques that a lot of actors rely on. Yeah. He tells them, as I understand it, he gives them specific diction. He gives them specific inflection. He tells them which words to say louder and in what way. He performs the lines for them and has them mimic him. And if they can do it the way he has it in his head, great. If they can do it even better, even better. And I think that's... That's that's cool. It it is very cool. And I, I think that it does quite literally give his films... A his distinct voice. voice. It his is. Voice. It yeah. is quite it, literally his, his voice. voice. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not. Not quite. Quite literally, but almost. It's almost right, literal. Right. So I. Th- I think that's. Like it or not. Like his films or not. Uh, Kevin Smith is an auteur. He's definitely an auteur, and all of his films have his fingerprints on them. Mm-hmm. And you can watch a Kevin Smith movie and know it's a Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, that is what an auteur is. It's it's the sign of an auteur. And I think that's great. That's one of the things that I really well, like I, about him. I mean, I think I think it's important for for any artist to I think all okay, how can I say that? All artists probably strive to have that quality whether or not they're received uh well or not well, um, they still strive to have that quality that it at least at least it's theirs, at least it's not somebody else's, at least it's distinguished, it's unique. Mm-hmm. Um, people can criticize it all they want for their personal opinions, but at the end of the day, it's something they made that is distinctly them, and that's that's a important thing, and it's a thing to be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. So I totally agree. So. If I can say anything about his stuff, I can definitely say that. So, the name of this chapter is Paradigm. A paradigm 
is an outstandingly clear or typical example or archetype. Okay, so it's a pattern. It's a model by which you uh, follow, I guess. Do you care about what it means linguistically? Should I tell oh, you? Oh, go for it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, lingui- it, as a linguistics term, it's like the set of forms having common or root uh, or stems, having common roots or stems, but one form must be selected in certain grammatical situations. So it, it ties into syntax again. It does, although syntax doesn't really tie into the movie. But syntax movie. doesn't tie into the movie either, so I don't think it really matters. But I think that it it is significant to me in some way that he picked two worm, words that are, like I, like I said earlier, linguistics 101 vocabulary. Like, you're going to have to memorize these. So that's interesting, I think, now, though bef- I don't understand it. Before I give you my thoughts on this, because I don't know if you know what I know about this particular chapter... Do you think paradigm fits this chapter in any significant way? Do you know what happens in this chapter? Um, okay, so this is his ex-girlfriend coming back. Well, since since the title card, we've had uh, you know that whole exchange between uh, Rick Darris, the workout guy, and then that mm-hmm. other female customer, and and Dante, and he's also been cited with a fine mm-hmm. for, for selling, selling cigarettes. cigarettes to a little girl that. Randall actually sold cigarettes too. Right. Okay. Now, Caitlin is back and she's explaining to him now that uh, the engagement was a uh, misunderstanding, mm-hmm. uh, that she told her mother and uh, I, I guess I guess it was something like she, Sang asked her to marry him, her, her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. She said she was going to think about it. And then Sang told his parents, and his parents called her mom, and she got all excited about it and put it in the newspaper. Man, I would be so pissed if my mom did something like that. Right. What a crappy mom. It's something like that. It's something along those lines. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly, but it, it is. It was a misunderstanding, and she came all the way down here to see Dante to make sure that he wasn't all upset, so that. She could basically tell him that she is going to be single soon, that she doesn't really care about saying, and she wants to give a relationship with Dante a real shot again. So basically all of the things that he's been wanting, uh, he's about to have handed to him. Well, and she's saying here, I guess this is... She's talking She's talking right now about... I'm sorry, I was listening to her dialogue, because she's talking right now about how... The reason why she wants to dump this guy is because he's he's actually going to be really successful and he's already signed with a huge firm, firm or something and he's going to make a lot of money and she's studied too hard to be a housewife. I don't understand this logic because if you were making a lot of money, I wouldn't feel I I would just feel less pressure to to worry about to find a means of making money instead of focusing like i would still do do. everything that i do now i would still work just as hard as i do i would still try to further my career and my education and it would just be a benefit that my if if for some reason i failed or or we had a problem or or i had a kid and decided to not work for a while or something like that that you could support me that would be fantastic in any relationship either way this scene is is impressive for one reason in particular. This is done in one unedited take that's over five minutes long. Wow. That is impressive. And it was shot on the very, very first night of filming. This was like the first 
the first thing that then they, they were just on it the actors were just ready to go yep just on top of it that's cool that shows enthusiasm mm-hmm. also his beard is the thinnest uh in the entire movie uh that's right because he he shaved it or something before starting well kevin smith told him to shave it uh before filming because he he didn't want dante to have a beard and then he saw what brian o'halloran looked like without it and he said grow it back <laughs> <laughs> so he only had like a couple of days to grow this pathetic little van dyke uh and then- I, i'm gonna be honest i never noticed his beard changing when i watched this movie i never noticed it until it was brought up like i read it somewhere and then i was like oh i guess it is kind of longer in some scenes yeah i guess i just don't care about beards that much uh, I'm not a continuity guy. Like continuity doesn't. I just I, I just realized that you just took a little dig at me. I did. <laughs> I kind of breezed over it. You don't like your bearded husband. Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm not a continuity guy. I'm not really a goofs guy either. Like mess ups in movies and stuff like that. I don't I don't feel particularly good about myself when I point out the shortcomings of the script girl or you know the script supervisor. Sorry. It's it, I I know it's the actual term. Yeah, you're so. safe. You can say it. Um, yeah, but anyways, though, so she she's saying she doesn't she's going to break up with this guy because he she would, I guess, have to be a housewife. Maybe maybe we're implying that he doesn't want her to work. Now, if that's the case, I totally understand. Yeah, dump him. But um, but I don't I I don't know. Maybe that's some motivation for going back to Dante is that she would. Maybe maybe she has a domineering personality and she likes the idea of being with a guy who she could support. Uh, I guess. I'm sorry. I'm just still trying to find out why these girls like Dante. I don't get it. I don't think he's cute. It's the greatest mystery. I don't. I mean, maybe he's really great in bed or something. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, so have have you found the the paradigm yet? <laughs> I love Jane Silent Bob. I do love them, and I know I know that's what everybody loves, but I can't help it. I do love Jane Silent Bob. They make me laugh. Um. Oh, and we didn't say what Randall was doing. Randall was at Big Choice Video, renting a movie. So he's come back with a movie called The Best of Both Worlds, which is hermaphroditic porn. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and Dante says that he was fined because of Randall's fuck up, but he's not mad because he's going on a date with Caitlin. So there's nothing that can get him down. Mm. He's walking on sunshine. Oh, oh. And don't it feel good? Everything is awesome. That's right. Everything is awesome. Everything's great when you're... Part of a team. Okay. When you're engaging in infidelity. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's where I was going. Um, Actually, the tape that he rents, The Best of Both Worlds, is an actual series of porn movies, but it's not about hermaphrodites. It's about bisexuals. Oh. So it's not not nearly as interesting, I yeah. think. Not nearly. Um, isn't, did we already miss the part where he reads off the list of pornos? Yeah, we did. Woman? That was a, that was a yeah, while Yeah, I back. read something about that, about this uh, Randall, the, the actor who plays randall uh jeff anderson being really embarrassed Mm -hmm. about that list and actually he didn't even read it in front of the woman he wouldn't he refused to yeah so like when he starts saying the really (laughs) nasty porn titles there's a cut right before that that like cuts right in on his face so you don't Mm. get the over the shoulder from the from the woman (laughs) but uh they had to get her reaction shot so they just had one of their crew members read Read the list to her and her little girl (laughs) 
I mean, Jeff Anderson wouldn't do it, but someone had to. So I don't know. I people are silly. If you were the director, you'd be like, "Just look disgusted." I don't want to tell you why. Just, just look disgusted. Well, I would if I. That's if what you I would were the do. Director, or would you actually read the list? No, I would say they were silly if they couldn't listen to a list of words. But there was a little girl. Okay, well, the little girl is. But but I mean, her parents are allowing her to do this, so she's in this day and age. She's gonna see it everywhere, anyways. So what was she the, has the internet? We're into our next chapter, which is called whimsy. Uh, what was the paradigm? What do you think the paradigm was? Um, the usual thing that happens, the paradigm that I don't know. I don't know what what was the paradigm. So do you have a do you have an answer? Or I, are you asking me? No, I, I want I want to see if you can make sense of it in the final version of the movie. Um, I don't know. Okay, because there was supposed to be a scene between Randall and a big choice video employee, played by an actor named Vincent Pereira. Uh, and he was play he was going to be playing the perfect clerk, quote unquote. Basically the antithesis of what Randall is. Oh, okay. Randall is the worst clerk. Right, yeah. He's terrible at his job yeah, because he doesn't care about he's it. He's never there. So there was gonna be a scene between Randall and his perfect opposite uh-huh. is this, you know, amazing clerk at an amazing video store, right? But their audio equipment broke while filming the scene, so it had to be cut they couldn't use the scene i think that that clerk the perfect clerk is the paradigm it is the quote outstandingly clear or typical example or archetype okay it is yeah. it is what yeah, of course it is randall looking so, at an alternate universe version of himself if he were like if he were if better he at actually his job. If, if he, he actually, actually cared, cared. <laughs> right if he cared like maybe dante cares and we just we're, we're we just blew through another one. These I chapters are just these chapters are just one scene. Uh, the last one we just blew through was called whimsy, which is the quality of or state of being whimsical or fanciful. And the whole the whole chapter was just a conversation between Caitlin and Randall about uh, Dante, which culminated in uh, Randall saying, "If you break his heart again, I'll kill you." And, and she calls him out on it. She's like, you're being territorial. And he, and he says, yeah, he was mine first. Which is, it's really sweet. It is really sweet. <laughs> and I think that's the one time that you really get to see like a nugget of their friendship. Yeah. Now in Clerks 2. The sincerity in it. The sincerity. And in Clerks 2, they really, really expound on that whole friendship thing. And there's an amazing scene when they, they end up in jail toward the end of the movie. Mm. And Randall just spills everything. Everything he just has this emotional breakdown in front of Dante and just talks like he's just like he says straight out he says you're my best friend I don't know what I'm gonna do without you if you leave and it's it's a great scene it's really really sweet uh, and I think that that you know their friendship is not such an important element in this movie but I'm glad that at least gets a little bit of lip service it gets mm. a nod there where where Randall is saying. This man is important to me. Yeah. And I don't want him. Well, hurt. I mean, their friendship really is the crux of, of what what is going on in at least Randall's life. And and yeah. I think in Dante's too, but Dante doesn't recognize it. 
Randall sees that this is where they are. This is what they're doing. Maybe they'll make something of themselves. Maybe they'll leave this. But this is where they are. And he's happy with it Mm because he has his best friend right next door. And they don't have big responsibilities. They can just kind of slack off and fuck around. Like, they can go play hockey on the roof and the world isn't going to come to an end. If I went and played hockey on the roof at my job, the world would come to an end. It would be the end of the world. (laughs) My classroom would erupt in flames. So... I mean, it, they live a life where where they can be happy if they want to, but they have to be okay with where they are. And Randall is because because of a lot of reasons, and one of those reasons is that he's with his best friend. I don't mm-hmm. think Dante realizes that. I don't think he realizes. I don't think he sees the good in the things that he that he does have, like in his girlfriend who brings him lasagna at work. Right, which is again. One of it's going to be one of my problems when it comes up. I think it's in the next scene or in a couple of scenes. We're getting we're actually getting pretty close to the end of the movie. We got about fifteen minutes. Um, but what was whimsical about the scene with Caitlin and Randall? Mm. Is there any whimsy there? I didn't feel whimsical while watching it. I didn't feel it. fantastical at all, and no no fanciful feelings coming from me. No, no, we're going to chalk that one up to pretension, I guess. Uh, the chapter we're in right now is is called Quandary, and that is a state of perplexity or doubt. Yeah, it's also a quandary is a big problem, too. Yeah. Yeah. To put it in layman's terms, yeah, it's an, a big an, problem. An issue, so, yeah. so, I mean, they've got a big problem right now. Yeah. Uh, Caitlin just fucked a dead guy yeah. in the bathroom. And... Yeah, I <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much it. Again with the like I don't and his erection under the sheets can right last there. for hours according to this person who's has a job and knows did, about did these the things. Did the guy I put guess. his hat on it or something? Did he? <laughs> I think so. There's I did I've never noticed. It. <laughs> it looked it well before like it was distinctly just the sheet, but then there was something dark on top. I mean, it's hard to tell it, in black it, and probably, white, but I've maybe his hat or his jacket or something. We have another uh we have another chapter, lamentation. This is an act or instance of expressing sorrow, mourning or regret for or often uh, demonstratively these things. So Lamentation. We're going to find out if anyone laments. Of course they do. I mean, they're... The whole movie is Dante lamenting. Right. Like, he's lamenting about his life the whole time. He has a mantra. I'm not even supposed to be here today. That's a... That's a he's yeah. lamenting. He's lamenting his station in life. Yeah. Now, this... Um, I, I think it's, it's particularly important to this scene because this is the moment where, uh, where Randall tells Dante to shit or get off the pot. And basically breaks down his whole psychology for him and says, listen, this is how you are. You can't seem to break out of 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 where you are and make yourself happy and to find purpose in your life. You can't get over your station in life. Uh, you can't improve things for yourself. You can't disrupt order in order to make yourself more comfortable. Uh, and And then Dante responds by saying, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, and he he tells a story about how what was it that 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 he went to the bathroom when he was a kid and the lid was down and instead of lifting up the lid mm. he shit his pants <laughs> so he would rather he he would he doesn't want to disrupt order just so he can the way he puts it just so he can shit comfortably <laughs> 
So, I mean, that's... Uh, have you ever met anyone like that? I, I don't know. I guess so. Have you probably. met someone who just can't stop complaining about what they're yeah. doing, where they are, their situation. But, but don't then, do anything about but it. But they don't do anything about it. Right. And that... I've known so many people yeah, like that. No, I have. I absolutely have. I've known a lot of people like that. I mean, but again, we're we're in our in our 20s. And I think that's that's the time of, of people like that. I mean, maybe after your 20s, I guess we'll see when we get there. But maybe after your 20s, people make a choice to either... Be okay with life or do something with life. But, or maybe they don't. Maybe it goes on forever maybe they like don't, but this. I, I mean, I'm, but, I'm 28 and I feel like I'm I'm happy and the things that I'm doing right now, I know I'm not going to be doing forever, but I'm not so concerned with what I'm going to be doing. You're very different from me in that regard, though. I am, but I think we both do have an idea of what we want our life to be like. Yes, but I think the, the difference in us, though, is that you're... You're you're more Randall and I'm more Dante. Unfortunately, yeah, I hate I to say it. I think that's true. I think that's totally true. I, because I don't want to associate myself with Dante. I don't particularly like him. Um, uh, but but I mean, I'm I I'm not satisfied unless I'm doing things that I think are gonna. Well, th- then I'm like Dante, but I'm not like Dante because I actually do something about it, or at least I you're try proactive. to. Yeah, I'm no, proactive. Yeah, you are. You are so proactive. I'm like Kevin Smith. Then sure. <laughs> we, we can say that <laughs> exactly. That's and that's better. and that's in even though this is basically Dante's plight is basically how Kevin Smith fil- Kevin, felt Kevin Smith before felt at he this did point in his something, life. and then he made this movie. The and, one key difference is that he's proactive, right? He and I mean, it's kind it. of like. Um, uh, or a new chapter. It's, it's kind of meta, I guess that would be the right way to say it. Like the way this movie is in Kevin Smith's life, because this movie is about Kevin Smith not doing anything with his life and then feeling like this the whole time. Because Dante is Kevin Smith. But then Kevin Smith makes this movie and it solves the problem that Dante has. Right. It solves his own problem that he gave to his main character. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. That's cool. But but I do think that you're it's cathartic even. It like, is it, they're, they're, kind of like one of the chapters. The title card that we're gonna yeah we're gonna we're gonna get a, a title card. I I think yeah it's after this one. The chapter that we've just entered is called juxtaposition. The definition of which is the act or an instance of placing two or more things side by side, especially for comparison's sake. Yeah, um, to show the contrast between them. And I think the contrast that it's it's really. Could it be putting to, Jay and Silent Bob next to Randall and Dante? Yeah, basically how they look at life uh, versus how Dante looks at life uh, and giving their perspective and, and also juxtaposing their perspective of his relationship with Veronica against his own, mm. which is basically what makes him realize okay. that Veronica yeah. loves him and that he should love her back the way she loves him. Um, I, I'm not... How he comes to it, I'm not entirely cool with. Uh, with the fact that Silent Bob just says it to him and he, and yeah, he's just like, you're right. Yeah, it's it's really great. That that delivery right there where uh, Jay is trying to say the you know, truism from his grandmother and he says, he messes it up and he's like, no, no, no I fucked up. The delivery there is perfect. <laughs> it's so perfect that... I wonder if, if it's he actually real. fucked up the line and just said yeah. I fucked up the line, but they kept it in because yeah. it's just Jay fucking up his grandmother's yeah. altruism. Um, Silent Bob's line right here, uh, this is part of my problem with this. 
was originally meant to be said by Jay, but Jason Mewes had such trouble delivering it that Kevin Smith decided to say it himself. So this makes sense, I think, since in the film it appears that Dante ignores what Jay says but is somehow enlightened by Silent Bob, who essentially says the the same thing that Jay is saying. Mm. He says the exact same thing. Um, the problem that I have with it is that that little extra at the bit at, at, at the end sounds a little bit too much like Jay than mm. it should like the wise silent Bob. Cause what he says is there are a million fine looking girls and fine looking girls in the world or good looking girls in the world, but not all of them give you lasagna. Most of them just cheat on you. Yeah. Most of them it just... Is, it is a very Jay thing to say. I mean, Jay, Jay is a huge misogynist, like, throughout, oh, throughout all the these beginning. movies. Oh, absolutely. Right? From the beginning, and he was... He, girls are walking by, and he says, hey, sluts, you want to... Like, and it's very weird to me how how that's so obvious, yet at the same time, I, I like him so much as a character. I guess it's because... Because I know that it's also it's, making yeah. fun, making fun of that kind of person. Yes, exactly. Um, and and that's, he, Jay's not supposed to be smart, or and that's why you put a, a line person. like that in in his in, in his, his mouth. mouth. But because Silent he's a buffoon. Bob, Silent Bob is not a buffoon. He's, and the way he presents himself, I know he's silent. But I mean, even in this routine, you know, the straight man and the funny man kind of thing, you see Silent Bob as the observer. He is by his very nature. Even if you've only seen this movie, you see Silent Bob as the wiser of the two right well and i mean there are times um i i haven't been watching this time close enough to make this statement about this movie but i know in other movies at least like where he kind of gives jay looks like what like what's wrong what, with you why you, would you why, say that why would you do that what are you doing man? exactly he criticizes like, jay a like lot. so so we assume that that he that he is the more intelligent of the two characters and therefore we want him to say something that's not just the dumb shit that the dumb character would say like Jay is not supposed to be a good guy. He's not supposed to be a smart guy. And and um, if he was, Kevin Smith wouldn't make him a misogynist because Kevin Smith is not a misogynist. He he portrays women usually. I I mean, this movie is. And then there's that other movie. What's the one where he tries to? Uh, it's the lesbian, and he Chasing tries Amy. to make her straight. Yeah. Yeah. His... I've never watched that movie, but every time you watch it and explain it to me, I just can never get behind the yeah, idea some, of it. Kevin, I, I think that he's a, certainly evolved uh, as a filmmaker and uh, basically evolved in every way as as he's gone through his career. But yeah, I think that his gender politics and his sexual politics are a little weird mm. in his early career, um, especially in Clerks and Chasing Amy. Well, and it's not that I... It's not that I necessarily think he's he's saying anything wrong about women. I just I almost get the feeling that he just doesn't understand them. Exactly. In this movie and in Chasing it, which, it again, I haven't watched Chasing Amy, but just the idea of it. Right. Which in in its own way is kind of kind of makes these movies, especially early in his career, perfect for for people between the ages of like 15 or 17 and like 25 years old. Mm. Perfect for men between the ages of 15 sure. 17 okay. and 25 that's fair. years old. Perfect for men because when the I was 15 of... I understood So, so that like 10 women. that 10 year chunk right there I I think that you know as a 15 year old like as you're going through your teens and you're going through adolescence and you're looking at your 20s and you're starting to feel 
these things. You watch a Kevin Smith movie like this and you're like, man, this is how I kind of feel. I understand this. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm going that way. I know that's where I'm headed. And then when you're my age, when you're, I'm already, I'm 28 now, like I said, uh, and I look at these characters as like a past version of myself or as like a past version of my thought, thought processes. Mm. Um, and I say, okay, that was a time and a place, and I don't actually relate to them anymore. Yeah, um, which is amazing. Like it, it, it makes it makes these movies important to a very specific group of people that there will always be. There will always yeah. be seven or like you know fifteen to twenty five year olds. Yeah. Um, but then again, I think Clerks Two is kind of perfect for where I am right now, and I I actually haven't seen it since. Uh, I guess since it first came out on DVD several years ago when I was in my early 20s. In college still. Yeah, when I was still in college. And I loved the movie then, but when I think about the themes of Clerks 2 now, just thinking about them, I relate to them so, so much more than I do Clerks. Mm. So I really, I need to rewatch that and uh, and kind of reorient myself. And I don't know. I mean, maybe, I don't, I don't think Kevin Smith is... <sighs> I, how can I say? I don't have a huge problem with the way he he treats women in his movies. I mean, Veronica, which is something I asked you to to look for in this movie. Yeah, the, their stories are basically over. I I don't I don't have a huge problem with it. I mean, Veronica's Veronica tells Dante what she thinks when she thinks it, and when she's pissed, she yells at him and throws shit, and she reacts appropriately. And I I, I guess I just I don't know. I kind of feel like. This was definitely before he was married, right? Yes. When And his wife, as I understand, just, is a we pretty... Just, we just went through a whole chapter without talking about it. The chapter we just went through was called Catharsis, which is the purification or, or uh, pupation of the emotions as pity and fear primarily through art, uh, which I think is really... Uh, obviously, they had a big blowout in that scene. They had a big fight. And I think that was the moment of the releasing of tension. It right. It was... Like when you're really angry about something and you bitch about it for a while. Very much the climax of the movie. It's cathartic. And I I think that on a director level, like on a personal level, making this movie is kind of cathartic. And we got that, you know, the comment earlier about him being, what, having pent up anger or whatever it was, in denial about it. Exactly. You're you're in denial uh, and you're suppressing rage, motherfucker. Right. (laughs) I think was a lot. so we're now in uh, the news headline on on this magazine is world's fattest man weds tiniest woman. Oh well, <laughs> I hope they're they're still happy and together. Like an inquirer or something. Uh, this chapter that we're in is appropriately called denouement, which is a French word that means the falling action. The there it, it are... literally it actually doesn't it literally mean like untying. I think uh, it is. I I don't know literally what it means because I don't speak French. I think it but, means untimely. Untime, but I know but in is, theater it's like the right. the resolution. Right. In 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 dramatic narrative, it is the final outcome of the main dramatic complication in a literary work. So that makes sense. Now, in the original, like we said, the original ending, there would be a scene right here over these credits where uh, Dante gets shot and dies, which I yeah. I do think that artistically, and then someone is comes the in and steals ending. a pack of cigarettes, right? Kevin played by Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there was another scene too that was cut. Did we talk about the cut scene, the funeral scene? No, but they did. Because I remember it. when I was watching it the first time, I was like, "What? What is up with this? I don't understand what happened. I don't. Why didn't they just film it? Maybe they just ran out of money and time. And I guess that is kind of what happened, right?" 
But there actually was supposed to be a scene. Mm-hmm. But where he knocked over the casket yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, you can actually see that on the I think it was the tenth tenth anniversary uh, DVD release. Uh, they animated it in the style of the Clerks animated series, short lived six episodes Clerks animated series, which is actually kind of good. Yeah, I remember watching that with you. Um, it was cute. Yeah, and it's 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 a fun little thing. You can actually watch it with the movie, like inserted into the correct place on that DVD set. Which is cool. I'm also I'm also not a fan of the music in this. I know you are. I I think that it is as '90s, and this came out the same year as Dumb and Dumber. But I feel like Dumb and Dumber soundtrack and this the yeah, soundtrack but I like together, the music on Dumb and Dumber a right. lot more than I like this music. Well, together they they make a, a much broader uh, eclectic photograph of music that was in the you know early to mid '90s, mm-hmm. um, and I, I do like the soundtrack for that reason. Um, did, do you feel like this was based in any way on Dante's The Divine Comedy? Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that at all. So that's that's a popular theory that it's loosely based on The Divine Comedy, hence, you know, the main character's name. I, uh, it makes, well, I mean, obviously. You know, right. his descent and all that kind of stuff. I guess. I think, and I haven't heard this said before, but I personally find that the movie seems to be loosely based on Samuel Beckett's play Waiting for Godot. Okay. Uh, another story okay, about yeah. two characters who wait for another character named Godot to come, who ultimately never does, much like Dante's boss, who he waits for right, and, and never, he never comes. comes. And the more important thing is thematically, both stories contain themes of existentialism, very strong right. themes of yeah, existentialism. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that stuff is, uh, uh, you know, key. But that's just my my opinion. But that brings us to the end of another episode of Popcorn Poops. Uh, as always, you can find us at our website at www.popcornpoops.com. Please like us on Facebook. Please follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, where we'd really, really appreciate it if you left us a little rating and review. Told, tell us how we're doing. Tell us how you like the show. That would be great. That would be great. We'd, uh, we'd love that a lot. Uh, you can follow us individually on uh, Twitter. My username is Dusty Cram Cram. And I'm Jesse Casper. And until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn.